Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces that power the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Star Northrop, bringing you, you know, the sort of live reaction to Jerome Powell, kind of hinting that rates are going to stay way higher for way longer, potentially. Are we staring down the barrel of just the 1980s all over again? And then also getting into some really wild stuff, just trying to understand and unpack the incredible earnings situation coming out of NVIDIA and the new growth explosion we're getting at the NASDAQ despite the fact that the 10-year yield is high enough to take everybody out of growth stocks, basically. A lot of competing forces in this economy once again. The VIX is on the way down, though, so maybe we are still in the recovery aspect of this, you know, weird little downturn we've had since 2020. Helping me unpack that, as always, audience, is our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. It's Justin Kramer, folks. Justin, what's good, man? Are you finally back in New York yet, or what's up? Yep, back on the East Coast, just settling in, grinding in. Um... I wish I was in, I guess, Jackson this week to get a little inside knowledge on what's going on with Jerome Powell on team. The fact that um, the fact that we don't do our own company retreat in Jackson Hole during this time, just so we can get the on the ground macro shit. Um, you know, I feel like it's a bit of a mal. It's 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 a bit of corporate malfeasance, Justin. Yeah, for sure. Next year we'll uh, we'll put, we'll throw it in the schedule for sure. Let's go. Um, this week, <laughs> this week there's a a lot going on. Like with the, I mean, this AI boom continues to develop every single week. It's something new. We saw it in NVIDIA's earnings report yesterday. Um, then we have the inflation report coming out today, what we're expecting to do with rates, how that trickles down to the rest of the economy. Um, so the summer is a good time. It's like things slow down. You can really settle in, do the research. So a lot to go over and review today. And even these dog days of summer haven't been so bad. Audience, if you don't know, traditionally August is your worst performing month for the stock market. Nobody's here. Nobody's trading. Uh, then Labor Day hits and we all start a big, beautiful sprint all the way to Christmas. So uh, August is your slow period, but we've kind of toughed it out as best we can. And so we have a lot of news to unpack, though, because we're seeing some really insane long-term trends develop. The best thing we can do is kind of just work our way backwards for the week's news. We're still reacting live right now, Justin, to Jerome Powell's speech he just gave from Jackson Hole. We just alluded to it a bunch. He didn't really say much, like the market is up on this. The Dow Jones is up 100 points, but the Nasdaq is down because it looks like that rates are going to potentially stay high longer than previously anticipated. So Justin, we both watched this. Uh, I'm just wondering, what are your kind of initial reactions to Jerome Powell basically saying, we're trying to keep labor under control here? I think it's, you know, more of a similar sentiment that he's been taking. I know a lot of investors and people on the news are trying to say, or have been trying to like point the narrative that things are going to be changing soon. And not that they necessarily aren't, but what his job has basically been doing is to try to hit it down the middle in the sense of things are getting better, agreeing that, you know, we're starting to see positive effects of their policy. However, that we still, they're still prepared to raise rates further and that inflation is too high still in their mind. They still have to, you know, look for a handful of markers to come down before they're ready to kind of change their direction and pause and or decrease rates uh, into this year and then going into next year. Um, I think, again, it, it makes sense. This is something that we've been saying for a while. Maybe it's more on the bearish tone. Um, but ultimately, um, this is this is the narrative we've been pushing while other investors feel otherwise. So something we're going to be looking for a lot going forward. What's uh, What's your take on it? 
Justin, I really need you to talk me off a ledge here, bro, because I look at this as somebody who was thinking about buying a house uh, in 2023 as opposed to 2021. Big mistake in, in hindsight, obviously. Um, I'm obviously not buying a house right now because rates are too high and we're still, you know, in that sort of heavy growth phase. Um, but I look at this and I see Jerome Powell kind of like fighting the endless hamster wheel of labor, so to speak. Like he talked a lot about... Uh, labor staying too strong. He talked about pent-up labor demand. Things are trending in the right direction. He's very confident about that, but rates need to stay high until labor is more under control, and he's really kind of focusing on that side of his dual mandate, and we just saw the OAW authorize a strike against the the big three in Detroit. So I look at all this, Justin, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm 30. My dad was 30 in 1984, right? Uh, so I look at this, and I'm like, I'm literally just reliving my entire, my dad's entire life when he had to buy a house at 14 14% rates, um, and I think it's just going to be the 1980s all over again, dude. I really see us at high rates until like 2030, because it's going to be this endless hamster wheel of, unless you completely collapse the economy, like, inflation's going to stay high, and wages are going to have to keep going up to catch up to the high cost of living that we have, and that's going to necessitate rates staying higher for longer, and so it's going to kind of like collide with, you know, the traditional like lack of supply we have in like the housing market, and people are going to see sort of like this bifurcation in the economy where, mo where most people on our end of the spectrum are going to end up being on renting, whereas people who are selling their homes are only doing so because they're like literally forced so, either by just like misfortune or, I don't know, death or whatever. So, like when you look at this, when you look at sort of like the competing pressures the Fed is trying to face, like do you, do you see any scenario where rates come down like before 2025? I mean, it's possible they start coming down next year. It really depends. And Jerome Powell's been saying this. It depends how the economy reacts. Again, labor's been strong. The economy's been strong. And it, it, if they move past the threshold that just like breaks the system, then they'll be forced to retract and change policy. But right now they're, they're like keeping on a steady pace. Um, and it's kind of experimental in nature. So they saw this in 2007, 2008, in response to the global recession uh, or financial crisis, rather, when they lowered rates um, and pumped a ton of money into the economy. And quantitative easing was a huge experiment, in a sense, in terms of just like they had never pumped that much money into the economy before. And this is going to be somewhat similar in terms of, you know, doing potentially up to like 10 to 15 rate hikes over the course of a year or two. We'll see like what happens and what breaks. There's They've stress testing, they've tested certain thresholds, but again, how things act in in actuality versus real life are very different. So looking at like Silicon Valley Bank, for example, it was fear that sparked the rally, even though they like technically like were not over leveraged and could pass stress tests. And so something like that, those like black swan type events couldn't be modeled out. And so it's similar here with like raising rates. Right now things have been working and things have been going strong. But if they push it past 5% to 6% into 7%, then interest rates subsequently, 30-year mortgages go 10, like up to 10%, there'll be downstream effects that like they're not able to model in. And so that's why when people ask, why don't they just increase it you know, to their terminal rate now and just let it go, is because they, they can't just pump the brakes on the economy that hard. It has to be a slow easing. And so they've continuously done this. So long story short, a lot of it is wait and see right now in terms of see how much they can raise rates before things really start slowing down. And the goal for them is, you've heard them say this before, is a soft landing, which means things slow down, but don't fundamentally break. And so from their perspective, they're not at that slowing down to the point where they can like resume normal activity from an economic growth perspective. Inflation is still stubbornly high. 
Labor's been extremely strong. Um, and so long story short, like they could be changing policy, you know, next meeting a quarter, a year from now, but a lot of it's going to be based on how the economy reacts. So we need to stay very on top of what's going on in order to be able to kind of forecast what the Fed will do and then ultimately how the market will react subsequently. And I think that's a really critical thing to keep in mind to audiences. Like the rising rates doesn't just mean the entire economy slows down in certain ways. Rising rates mean certain sectors of the economy get affected very differently. And we're watching that pressure kind of play out in real time. And so trying to understand who wins and who loses in this situation is really important. For instance, critical loser in all of this, uh, as 10-year rates keep getting higher and higher and higher, uh, crypto, I think crypto winter is going to last four to five years now. Like I am, uh, I was, I, I've always been interested in the crypto space. I love seeing new technologies develop, but watching AI actually get traction immediately and watching all of our web three friends just kind of not exist anymore. Um, I, I'm really wondering if like, you're going to get like 4% in a 10 year yield for, you know, the foreseeable future. Why would you ever even like mess around in the crypto space? Uh, am I wrong there, Justin? Is there anything that can like bring crypto back to a more growthy environment? Or is it one of those things where we're going to, people are going to stick to stocks and like, bonds as opposed to getting super speculative in the digital space yeah i mean it's it's i think a lot of it just comes down to to use cases for a long time now the general thesis for crypto has been you know it's decentralized there's all these applications blah 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 blah, blah. but that's been the narrative now for the last decade plus and it still hasn't been accepted into the mainstream um in the in the way that a lot of people thought it was Right now it's being like, especially Bitcoin is being held as, I would say a cross between a speculative asset and a store of value, which is a little contradictory, but people are speculating on it when there's a risk on scenario in the sense that people already pour back money into the market. They feel they can get a good return above the risk-free rate, which is the treasury rates. Um, and so that's been kind of how crypto has been going up and down over the last year or two. As, as risk goes up, it does well. As risk goes down, it does poorly. Um, and even though inflation over the last year has been going up, the market's also been going up because the risk appetite has gone up because people think the outlook will be strong. So I think from that perspective, like crypto can rally as the market rallies. It's kind of followed a similar path. If you track it over the last, you know, you know, since its inception, really, in a sense. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's really continuously being called under fire is like the use cases, like is this something that will actually be used as a either a regular store of value, as a, a method of transaction? Will companies be running on crypto? I mean, I think the the big takeaway or like the realization that a lot of people are is that it's going to be a lot more niche than people thought it was. Having said that, a lot of people have thought it would died on the last few runs and it came roaring back. So I wouldn't be surprised to see venture capitalists propping it up again. But I think a lot of lessons ultimately have been learned in the last few years. And I think going forward, our anticipation is that Bitcoin, Ethereum, some others can continue to rally as the markets do well. Um, but I would be, you know, hard pressed to, to say all of crypto is going to return as well, unless there's, you know, somewhere the NFT boom, something that we don't foresee coming or no one foresees coming that ends up having a use case that everyone's speculation on or speculating on. Speculation is a huge part of bull, of bear, of bull markets. It happens all the time. You go back like to the tulip mania in like Europe, like years and years, like like tons of years ago, up to the NFT boom today. People are always speculating. It's human nature. Something ridiculous will be speculated on next year, the year after. Um, AI is being speculated on to a certain extent now. So, I mean, we're getting a little. I'm getting a little off topic here, but I think long story short, 
crypto can move back up. Use cases within it starting to see limited. Uh, and if there's going to be a huge boom, it's going to be to some outside factor like NF, like the few, like the next NFT uh, NFT like event that ultimately booms this to the next level. And uh, that date and location you were looking for, Justin, that was Holland in the 1600s. That's your tulip mania, but you that's another story for another time. People kind of beat that one to death, and the sources on it are kind of dubious. It's like one guy in England was like, ah, these stupid Dutch people are spying too many tulips, and that's where the whole narrative about that bubble came from. Anyway, though, so we look at that, and we're trying to figure out exactly where all the mar- value in the market is. I think we were blown away that like our investment in Elf actually beat all of our gains in crypto. Like we were getting with with, with a beauty stock, we're achieving crypto level gains over the last three years, which is just wild. So we're looking at that, and we're trying to see where is the market being irrational. And I guess the big stock news this week, Justin, the place where everyone's trying to determine whether or not people are being kind of insane, is looking at Nvidia and looking at the AI boom. Right, like Nvidia absolutely skyrocketed. This this week. It's come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, but Justin, their earnings were positively ludicrous. Um, they uh, are up over 100% uh, year over year, 88% quarter over quarter in terms of revenue. Data center revenue is up 140%. Um, and right now, it looks like they basically have functionally unlimited demand for these AI chips, and they're only halfway at capacity, despite basically 3xing their ability to make these chips. Um, I've been converted, and I just want to kind of talk to you about why I feel justified about updating our NVIDIA price target this week. We were, uh, NVIDIA obviously smashed our price target. Uh, We were at about 480. It just careened through that. It's back down to 453, but it's going to go back up once all sort of like everything shakes out. So we're going to, we're going to boost a little bit, but not too much. So Justin, I'm wondering from your perspective, like, uh, how do we feel justified in, are we, are we, not a concern at all. This is a bubble. I think you're more bearish on this, so I'd love to sort of like not debate you, but like talk through it with you and see how we can get to a consensus answer here as to why the market feels so justified about raising their price targets for NVIDIA. We're not going to be yep. insane or anything. Um, HSBC made a $780 price target or something obscene, but um, we're going to keep it close to the chest here just in case macro pressures, but take me through why we feel like how we're feeling about you know the the, the world's new Tesla, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And I think, so next week we're going to release, once we finish up this weekend, the like continuation of our research, we'll really be releasing on the app. It's a lot uh, of math, folks. It's a lot of like modeling. It really sucks. I hate doing it so much. (laughs) I hate, I hate having to think about NVIDIA once every three months. It's the worst part of, it's just so much like the the numbers are too big. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. So yeah, I mean, everyone, we will be releasing it uh, either Wednesday or Thursday in the app updated price target, updated research, kind of taking away earnings and expectations going forward. Um, our price target will definitely not be nearly as aggressive as some of the people on the street. We're playing a little bit closer to the chest in the sense of looking through the end of the year then to next year, and we'll be doing incremental price targets as they hit our internal targets and expectations. Um, so having said all that, looking at the report was kind of breaking into two areas. The first is just digesting what happened. And then to your point, talking about what's to come next, what do we anticipate, what do they anticipate? So looking at the report, I mean, it's, they just (laughs) blew everyone, blew expectations out of the water. It was insane. It's the first time in semiconductor history that we saw a company guide their revenues to $4 billion above consensus. And it was on top of already ridiculous expectations. Their data center business is growing more than 3x every six months. And it's just, no one's saying it's a bad business. I think the biggest debate right now is, is it overvalued? 
But in terms from a growth perspective and isolation, you take away the valuation. I mean, the data center numbers are out of control. Um, just looking more closely, it's anticipated that data server revenues will be $10 billion in July, which is up 140% quarter over quarter. Again, like smashing through expectations. And it's also really important um, because they're, they're doing like, again, the demand is out of control. They're growing revenues by more than 3X in six months. And they're doing so in the face of like higher prices as well. The, the customers are just eating eating it up. They can't keep up with demand. And so the driver of the upside versus like a lot of the initial forecasts on the street has really been that breadth of like customer activity and demand. Um, more, cu more customers are spending more on AI than most people anticipated even just six months ago. And it's because like the training of these large language models, the processors and semis needed to run them has just been, demand's been through the roof as like people want to capture the next wave of AI and generative AI. So that's really the, the most important thing that we took away from this like earnings call. Going forward, their product pipeline is very strong in data center. They're continuing to roll out new things to upsell to people. Um, but we're continuing to to see, you know, that growth persist for for some time, even though, again, our numbers might be conservative relative to the street. Um, and so I think getting away from that, the the biggest thing for us that we're tracking in terms of like expectations going forward is one, the overvaluation, which we'll dive into in a second. And a lot of it after that is like China and overseas, um, overseas demand. So on their earnings call, NVIDIA did make some comments about like export controls within China and like kind of how it remains uncertain. Um, basically, if you recall, there were a lot of restrictions that were placed last year, which basically caused NVIDIA to ship less powerful chips than they're allowed to based on US restrictions. Um, and so we'll see how this plays out, but more strict controls where 20, 25% of demand is from China can ultimately impact their their growth pretty substantially. So while US again is the most important geography for them, that is a little bit of a concern for us going forward if they're, you know, 25% of their revenue doesn't get wiped out per se, but ultimately gets impacted by US regulation. So I think going forward, like the results are out of control, especially in the context that the company is like, looking at, I mean, this is like a new generation of like demand in terms of like, we're looking at a generational shift right now and there'll be another generational shift when we move to quantum computing one day and this is rendered irrelevant. Um, but basically what we're seeing is the AI spend is growing and it appears relatively to be durable uh, for most part. The company's executing like top, top mark right now. Um, and so at a ridiculous multiple, I think the biggest thing that we're looking at is how well can they grow based on that multiple going forward. And that's why we're raising our price target because we do believe that the growth should maintain and therefore the multiple should maintain. This wasn't a quarter or two blip. Like this should continue to persist throughout next year. So we think the valuation then will be at the higher end of where they've traded historically. But having said all of that, the reason we're a little bit more conservative than everyone else is just given like naturally bubble-like tendencies for market participants in general. Um, the AI stuff is clearly here to stay in some capacity. The crypto stuff is more speculation. AI, there's real use cases that people are using and it will continue to kind of evolve. Having said that, 
the amount of people who can leverage AI, use it and capitalize on it is not going to be as widespread, we believe, as the rest of the industry is making it out to be right now. So we believe that like everything, it'll be concentrated in several companies. There'll be more bifurcation between big and small companies that are adding value to the ecosystem, but the bulk of demand is likely going to be concentrated. You know, similarly saw like the dot-com bubble with not everyone needed a, a, a dot-com and many went out of business. So I think NVIDIA over the long run, their valuation in terms of the multiple on revenue will come down a bit, but we really anticipate this growth to continue going forward. So we're going to set a shorter term price target. We're going to remain overweight. And this is continuing to be kind of like our top pick in the, the semiconductor space. And it's crazy now that they're one of the most valuable companies in the world. Yeah, they're they're literally just like the same place. People are saying about NVIDIA now what they were saying about Tesla around about 2017. Like Tesla had a right to basically print money back when they didn't quite scale enough. And then 2017, like they were already worth more than Ford and nobody believed they should be. But the margins on their cars were just absolutely insane back when they still had the luxury multiple, right? So you, so you look at that and you look at Tesla's growth from 2017 to around 2021. And you kind of realize, oh, like if you can sort of keep these things together and keep these areas of profitability together, it all kind of makes sense. But something else you said, Justin, is a great opportunity to really put a bow on this whole thing. Because I'd, uh, uh, the main risk I see is people, you know, thinking, oh, I missed the boat on NVIDIA. I'll just by other chip makers because like obviously chips are really hot right now what these high interest rates are creating and what a longer period of high interest rates will create is a situation where you're going to have a very small slate of winners and a very big slate of losers right we're going to see like you said justin a bifurcation of the economy you either, if you're in a growth business you either win it all or you're just kind of like at bottom tier you know barely scraping out four to six percent cost adjusted growth rate across like a five-year span you know so i look at this and i see sort of like the cyberpunk future being built before our eyes especially if interest rates sort of stay at um you know north of three percent until the 2030s. So that's the main thing I'm looking at. And Justin, I think that's another reason why I feel like we're going to sort of skip on the ARM IPO that's coming in September. That's something that just got filed for this week. Pretty hyped up. Um, they are, you know, sort of like the the smartphone chip maker from England who almost got bought by NVIDIA but got blocked on regulatory concerns. And now they were bought for $32 billion. They're going to get IPO'd for around 60 right? I don't think that's going to last, mainly not because, like, chips are not as valuable, but because smartphone demand is down. Is that is that a good assessment there? Like, do you think we'll jump in the ARM IPO, or is it too soon to say? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably avoid this one for the time being. I mean, it's <laughs> speaking of IPOs, not to change the subject for a second, it's interesting that Better.com, which was like a $4 billion business, goes public and gets, you know, on the day the IPO slashed by like 95%, wipes out the entire value of the company overnight. Um, so just interesting seeing in the IPO market, especially after Kava did so well, that's gonna scare some people off from going public going forward. Um, outside of that though, the the IPO that you're talking about in question right now, will probably avoid for a while. To your point, like not all semis are created the same. NVIDIA has like capitalization on the market. We, we're gonna have to need to watch the other ones like much more meaningfully and closely. You, the fintech CEO, just had to get knives out real quick for your fellow fintech company, man. Jesus, that, that's brutal. <laughs> and it's 93% now. It's pretty wild. Like, why would you IPO a mortgage company in the middle of, like, the lowest mortgage demand period in history? Like, that's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, like, it's a great company. They're doing well. Or at least I thought they were doing well. But the market, I, 
de- decimated this IPO. I, I have never seen anything like this before. Yeah, it's just like I think you should have canceled it much earlier. Like I think the the folks at Reddit saw the writing on the wall, and that's why they haven't like filed for their IPO yet. I think Reddit's going to take some time to see exactly how they can you know make a profitable social media business before they force the IPO down people's throats. So that was pretty smart. Um, and obviously, like, Kava and Oddity picked the best possible time for their kinds of multiples. They're just figuring out really solid profitability schemes and really solid growth paths. That's the time to IPO. But better should have canceled this because this is just brutal to watch. And I really, I understand why SoftBank is doing ARM. Like, they need to make some quick cash after <laughs> we work. Jesus. <laughs> um, but, like... Uh, looking at this, it's just like not the best time to be doing these kinds of IPOs. So it's just something something to watch. But like, I think the real theme here is we're going to see massive winners and a big giant bucket of losers. We're going to see like the the one percent, but from a company perspective. Um, one thing too, audience, if you're thinking about Nvidia, uh, one thing that helps me sort of stay strong on it is, despite the fact they're concerned about Chinese uh, export restrictions keeping their demand down, their highest area of demand is still the U.S. by a long shot. And something very interesting, it's not just like the mega cap companies who are buying up their chips. There's a lot of like medium tier players who are like buying small numbers as well that are kind of shoring up demand so again they're not even halfway to servicing all the demand they have and then there's a big mountain of saudi money out in the distance that's waiting to sort of pounce on as many chips as possible once they get the opportunity so nvidia is going to be the big winner here moving forward we'll keep our price targets close to the chest and sort of shorter term but i think it's going to be a really exciting time moving forward as long as you sort of jump on the the big winners as early as possible and be a lot more considered about sort of your more speculative purchases like buying your sort of small to medium business your your your, your mid caps are going to have a hard time and then small caps are going to become the new crypto basically i feel like but with that justin that does kind of get us to the 30 minute mark um anything else that you wanted to cover do you think we nailed everything or is that a good place to go ahead and sort of like talk us out of this thing i think you know one of our better recordings honestly as we sort of begin to really find clarity in sort of this interest rate environment yeah, I think for those listening, I know like sometimes we it sounds like we're talking or feels like we're talking about a lot of the same stuff, but the the key overarching narratives are similar, but the details within them change week over week. And while AI wasn't really talked about nearly to the extent that it is now a year or two ago, it's because the progress being made is faster than p- people anticipated. And again, it'll continue to have downstream effects that people are that people are watching for. Past that, inflation again and interest rates continue to be at the forefront of the economy. It might be driving you crazy. It's driving us crazy. Um, But again, it continues to remain important. So we need to stay on top of it because it's going to be driving a lot of potential growth and or potential pullback, you know, this year, next year, and just depends on, on how the rates go. So again, while it feels like it's the only story sometimes on the front page of the news, it's because it's extremely important. Uh, Past that, once the election starts really coming into full swing uh, next year um, or the end of this year, rather, we will start to cover that more because depending on who's in house, whether it be on the Republican side or Biden on the Democrat side, um, it'll be very, very telling for our policies going forward. And in a policy led country, ultimately, the, com- the companies within them have crazy downstream like effects. You've seen it with green energy. So that'll be a huge uh, thing we're looking for going forward. I think it's really good. Oh, solid. I think that's a really good point as well. Just kind of like thinking about like these are going to be the most important details moving forward, and you always have to watch these slow 
moving behemoth like events but you have to watch them like on sort of the micro scale and i think we've done a good job of understanding where we are sort of in each individual cycle and i'm pretty proud of that so audience uh thank you so much for listening the main thing that gives us clarity though is sort of our long-term perspective so i want you to also check us out over at app.mobi.co uh last week we focused a lot on sort of the consumer spending shifts we're seeing as consumers shift to spend more experientially focusing on stocks like visa and surprisingly dominoes which is doing really well so make sure you check that out get a free trial from us sort of get our long-term perspective we're starting to get a lot more of like an on the ground feel over at our instagram so you can always check us out at moby.invest over on instagram and eventually one day we'll start really posting on tiktok again but check us out over on instagram and you'll get sort of our almost up to the minute views on charts we're starting to put out there at the same time audience thank you so much for subscribing to this podcast if you have any questions for us you can always email us at hellomoby.co but for now it's a good place to end it so just so you know this podcast is produced hosted and voiced by me peter star all the intellectual value of this program comes from the moby.co analyst team as always that's headed up by justin kramer our ceo co-founder and chief analyst here find us over at app.moby.co otherwise audience we really appreciate your time so for now we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much